Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. The book of Revelation, chapter 2, we will begin reading in verse 12. When you got to say so. church in Pergamos write these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword I know your works and where you dwell where Satan's throne is and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells but I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him, give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Father, we honor you, and we thank you so greatly for your word. We thank you for your presence. God, we thank you because we acknowledge that you are here now. We acknowledge, Father God, that you are already speaking to us. You are already moving in our midst. And it is our prayer today, Lord God, that you would give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying unto the church. What your Spirit is saying to us as a body of believers, as a part of your body. Father God, Lord, you are speaking to us, Lord God, as individuals. Lord, we thank you. We give you all praise and all glory. In Jesus' mighty name, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Is not our God an awesome God? He is amazing. <clears throat> this is the third church that the Apostle John prophesies to, and we are dealing with the overcoming church focus. If we are going to be a church that overcomes, then we have to have a certain focus. And we as the church must be firmly focused upon the gospel and its completed work its present power, and its future promises in order to remain faithful and overcome the world, the flesh, and the enemy. I'll say that again. We, as the church, must be firmly focused upon the gospel and its completed work, its present power, and its future promises in order to remain faithful and overcome the world, the flesh, and the enemy. When you look at this church here, you find the church of Pergamos. And this is a church that lost focus on the gospel. They lost focus on why they were a church. They lost focus on why they came to Jesus in the first place. They lost focus. And this doesn't just happen to them. It happens to many of us. We get caught up in situations. We get caught up in circumstances. We get caught up in things. And we forget why it is that we're here. We forget why it is that we gave our life to Jesus to begin with. We forget about what really, really matters. 
To lose focus on the gospel is to lose focus on the lover of our soul. When we lose focus on the gospel, when we forget about why we came to Jesus, we forget that there was no one who could love us the way he does. When we lose focus on what Jesus did, we lose focus of the source of our salvation. We forget that it's not about our good works because what will happen to us when we lose focus on the source of our salvation, we begin to think, okay, well, I can be good enough, therefore I have no more to strive for. I'm okay right where I'm at. I've done enough. I've prayed enough. I've read the word enough. I've memorized enough scripture. I've evangelized to enough people. I've done enough good deeds. I'm okay. When we lose focus on that, we forget that we are not working for salvation. We are working from salvation. We forget that. That's the reason we get comfortable. You see, because the moment that you and I begin to recognize and remember, I am not working to salvation. I am working from salvation. Things change because now I realize I am indebted forever to the Savior, to the one who the gospel talks all about because the gospel is and will always be all about Jesus. When we lose focus on the gospel, we forget about the real and true reason for our existence. Listen to me. When we go through hardships and circumstances and we decide that we are going to turn away from God, we've forgotten the reason why we exist. Listen, I love my daughter to death. Understand this. I love my wife to death. And God forbid that something were to happen to them, I would not stop living for Jesus. And if I did, it's because I lost focus on the gospel. It's because I forgot why I was living. There are too many of us in the church that call ourselves Christians, that we live for the job that we have. We live for our families, not for Jesus. We live for things other than the Savior. And it is important for us to acknowledge these things so that way we can repent and regain the focus that we're supposed to have as a church that we are supposed to have as a people. Churches get caught up and they begin to live for the wrong things. They begin to live for their mission rather than the mission. Their mission, not the mission. The mission is to what? Is to be disciples and make disciples. And it's important for us to acknowledge that as a church, as a body of believers, as an individual that calls yourself a Christian, your focus, my focus has got to be right. Because if we lose focus, then we will end up making bad decisions. Pergamos, when you look at this church, the third church that we'll talk about, this was a wealthy church. It was a wealthy city, or not wealthy church, it was a wealthy city in Asia Minor. Present day, this, this is actually Bergamo in Turkey. That's the actual present day city. This particular city, Pergamos, also called Pergamum, it was famous for its university with a library of about 200,000 volumes. It was a massive library that, you know, that was one of the main attractions to this place. But also the other thing was that it was a place where they manufactured parchment resulting in a paper called Pergamena. And so this was a pretty important place that had a big old library. People wanted to get there because libraries have what? Have knowledge. We all want to be enlightened. And so we want to get to the place where that knowledge is. And so this was a central place. Also, it was a religious center for the pagan cults. 
It was a religious center for the pagan cults. So what does that mean exactly? Well, the pagan cults Athena of Athena. Athena was the goddess of wisdom. And so it was a central place where Athena was worshipped. It was a central place where the god Asclepios, he was the god of healing. And we'll talk about him a little bit later. He was a god of healing. It was a central place where he was worshipped. It was a place where the god Dionysus, or another name is for him, is the god Bacchus, which means the god of drunkenness. Hello, somebody. Center place. It was also the center place where Zeus was worshipped. This, this was a place where there was a lot, a lot of idolatry going on. A lot of false worship going on. A lot of things. Some people were devoted to these different gods in that area. It was also the first city to build a temple to Caesar. In 29 BC, they were the first city to build a temple to Caesar. You remember last week we were talking about emperor worship? They were the first city to build a temple to, to, to make sure that that cult was, was there in that city. It was a place where there was major cultic worship that was going on. It was a, a horrible place for Christians to be horrible because Christians are in the midst of this city that has multiple gods have many different religious cults that are, that are all surrounding and they are in the midst of that city saying there is one way there was one true God there is only one way to heaven you are all false worshipers horrible place wasn't a place that they were like okay you know I'm signing up to be there that's the city I want to live in no that's the city we're running from the city they didn't want to be at. When we read it, you, you remember in the first book, if you were here, the first, um, the first church that we spoke about was Ephesus. And if you remember, Ephesus was a church that had all of the right doctrine. You remember that church? That church that on the outside, they looked like they had it going on. I mean, they, 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 were, they were refuting the Nicolaitans. And you, and, and you know that right here, these people weren't refuting them, right? These people were like down with them, like, oh, they're cool, you know? They're all right. We, 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 we hanging out. We all in the middle of church. Right? We're all in the midst of church, and um, we got some Nicolaitan over here, and we got some Balaamist over here. We got all kind of crazy folk up in the church. That, that's what their church, their church was crazy. But the church of Ephesus, uh-uh, don't come up in here with that mess. That's how they were. And here's the thing. Remember, I, I warned you about becoming legalistic, but there is another thing that we must beware of, and it is becoming a liberal. A liberal, I don't mean a liberated Christian. There's a difference. Hello, somebody. And I, when I say the word liberal, please, I'm not talking politics. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. <laughs> We're talking Bible, not politics right now. I'm not talking about being a liberated Christian. Because you know what? There are, listen, there, there is freedom in Jesus. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is liberty. We talked about that when I talked about what Jesus did. I spoke to you about that freedom. So that's what I'm talking. I'm not talking about being a liberated Christian. I'm talking about being a liberal Christian that is bound in liberalism. There's a difference. And the same way we need to guard against becoming legalistic, pharisaic folk that just know everything the Bible says and yet have no love in our hearts, we also need to become people that are very aware that you can be overflowing with love and love the wrong stuff. And if you allow the wrong people to speak into your life, you will become a person who calls yourself a Christian who is bound in liberalism. You'll become a person who is declaring, oh, I know Jesus, I love Jesus, I said a prayer to Jesus, and all of this stuff, and yet, 
You will dishonor Jesus in your daily life and the way that you live and the things that you approve if you allow the wrong people to speak into your life. The first thing I want you to repeat after me is this. Say, no matter where we are positioned, God is not only aware, but he is offensively active with us. Look at verse 12 and 13 here. To the angel of the church in Pergamos write, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now notice he is introducing himself. He's giving you another picture of who he is. He is showing himself as this mighty warrior. You go later on in the book of Revelation and you find Jesus coming back and he is, I mean, looking mighty. He is off the hook, coming back with the sword, in, I mean, coming out of his mouth. He is, he is tearing nations now. And so he is now giving them a revelation, a foretaste of this mighty warrior that he is. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the one with the double-edged sword in my mouth. This is me who's talking to you. I'm communicating to you and let you know that I am that almighty God that, that does do war with the word of God. Verse 13 says, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. So the first thing we realized, we already talked about this, this city and how corrupt it was. Pergamos was most associated, I said we would talk about him a little bit, with Asclepios, which is the god of healing. His symbol was a snake. Symbol was a snake. You know how we have, like, the medical stuff? You know that snake that's on there? You know that snake, right? You know where that comes from, right? Asclepios, right over here. Yeah, well, we got Moses, but, but you, hear, you see here? Right here, god of healing, right? We get, the, we get this mindset. We have, we have Moses in this, it, who, who worshiped, well, you know, the serpent. Remember, he puts a serpent up, and he goes there about the healing. So what they did was they made that an idol. So here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll make it idolatry because they worship this snake. So the God of healing, that's going to be his sign. The God of healing, well, you know, this was Moses. And so they go. See, they, it all comes back way back when. We try to figure out, oh, this is a different religion. No. It came back from somewhere. And so we find here that this snake, right, that this God of healing, this is what the city's known for. This city, when you go, you can go and look this up online too. If you go to like Wikipedia or whatever the case is, you can sit there and you can learn exactly what went on. They built this, this hospital there, this hospital named after this God, and this was a, this was a place where they practiced medicine and, and superstition together. They had little things they would do, like one of them was this, like one of the things you would do in order to get healed is you would go into the temple, you would lay down on the floor, and you would let snakes crawl all over you so that way they could bring healing to your body. How many of y'all want to do that for healing? Uh-huh. Right? I'd rather just go to Jesus and say, all right, Lord, have your way. But this was the mindset of these people. These people, they, had, they, they, they were bound up in this thing. There was also on the Acropolis in Pergamum, there was a throne that was to Zeus in there. That's the reason why he says where Satan's throne is. Because this was a place that was bound in idolatry, and they had a literal, literally, the altar to Zeus was like a throne. The altar to Zeus was like a throne saying, you know what, he, because Zeus was what? He was like the main deity, right? So they said, you know, we got to make him a seat. We're not just going to sacrifice him. We want him to come and sit there with, in, in our midst. And so he's, he's letting them know. He's saying, look, man, I know where you live. I know you live in the midst of a horrible situation. 
And he goes on and he communicates to them. He, said, he, he, he tells them that they were faithful, right? Look, look, look what he tells them in verse 13. He says, I know your works and where you dwell where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. In the midst of this environment, this church held fast to the name of Jesus. In the midst of this environment, they said, you know what? We are gonna, we're willing to go through persecution, even to the place of death, even as they saw Antipas be killed. When Antipas was killed, they didn't deny Jesus' name. They didn't change their, their declaration that there's only one way to God. They didn't change their alliance and say, you know, we're just going to have to do some underground something. No, they continue to stay firm. They continue to believe what was right. They continue to declare that. They, the, the, Jesus is saying, you held fast to my name. This is not me saying this. This is not someone else. This is Jesus, the one who knows all things. He's saying, you held fast to my name, even in the midst of this persecution. And it's important that we realize that they were encouraged. They were admired for this. You held fast to my name in the midst of demonic persecution, in the midst of false worship. You are holding fast to my name. Here's a question for you and me. In the midst of whatever, are we holding fast to his name? In the midst of wherever we are, are we holding fast to his name? In the midst of whatever we're facing, are we holding fast to his name? In the midst of oppression, are we holding fast to his name? In the midst of depressing situations, are we holding fast to his name? In the midst of bad things going on around us, are we holding fast to his name? In the midst of things that go on inside of us, turmoil that goes on emotionally, are we holding fast to his name? See, this city, they just happen to have these different temples and these different thrones and these different altars to these different gods so you could see them all over the place. In our days, we don't have these temples so much that are, that are like that. We do see some, te some temples in some places where there's false worship, but more than anything, we need to recognize the spiritual battle that is going on around us. There are all kind of things that are going on around our lives, and the question for us is, are we holding fast to his name? No matter what, no matter who, no matter what's going on, are we holding fast to his name? Because if we are, then we're, we're, we are to be commended for that. The second portion where, where, where Jesus begins to speak to this church is he says to them, but I have a few things against you. Because, this is verse 14, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the, of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Say this with me, please. It is possible to be unwavering in one area and waver in another You see, we right away condemn folks, right? We jump to the place of condemnation. When we see people that call themselves Christians, right, they hold fast to the name of Jesus in that sense, and then in other areas, they're kind of wishy-washy, right? Not realizing that that's most of us. See, here's the thing. It is easy for us to boast, and when I say boast, it doesn't mean that you're out there like, yo, you know, I'm the, no, no, just, just, just to be proud about it, right? to be proud of our firm stances in Christ. But it is not so easy to recognize and deal with the areas that we're not so firm. This church, 
Oh, they were firm. You couldn't say nothing about Jesus. They understood Messiah. They understood who he was. They had all of that down. But there were other areas in which they were imbalanced. There were other areas where they were not as firm. There were other areas that they were not looking right. This church, when you looked at it from the outside again, just like Ephesus, right, they seemed to be sold out. Man, listen, when you're willing to die for something, that's a sign. Did you hear me? When you're willing to die for something, that means you probably love it. That probably means that you are sold out for this thing. When you're willing to die for it, there's something there. But the problem was this, and this is the title of the message, they were defiled in their doctrine. They seemed to be sold out, but they were the church that was defiled in their doctrine. Now, you're going to notice when I speak on this church and when I speak about the next church, the church of Thyatira, they have the same characteristics, and I'm going to deal with some of them here. But there's two different things that we need to understand. And this first church had an issue in their teaching. They had an issue in their doctrine. They had an issue in what they fundamentally embraced as truth and embraced as right. And while Jesus was the Savior, they still allowed some other things. They allowed false teachings to lead them into false freedoms and indulgences that were not pleasing to the Lord. I'm willing to die for you, Jesus, but I'm not willing to live for you totally. That's the statement. I'm willing to die for your name, but I am not willing to 100% live for you. I'm not willing, look, I'm willing to die for you, but I'm not willing to be the husband. See, let's break it down and make it practical. I'm not willing to be the husband that your word tells me to be. I'm willing to die for you, but I'm not willing to be the wife that your word tells me to be. I'm willing to die for you, but I'm not willing to be the parent that your word tells me to be. I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to die for you. But there's just certain areas that I'm not willing to submit to you. And so here's the thing that you got to realize. You and I, we don't make those decisions just out of, you know, the clear blue. We make those decisions because we justify them. And more than not, the reason and the way that we justify them is because we find teachers who will confirm what we feel is right. And let me tell you something, with the internet today, oh, you can find them all day long. Do a search on anything. Do a search on like polygamy or something like that. Right? That's wrong, isn't it? Amen. Every woman in here is like, yes, amen. Notice I said women because men are like, well, polygamy might be cool. <laughs> yeah. What about if it was your wife that had all the husbands? Would that be cool? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, because that, that, that's how it is. It's, it's okay for the dudes, but not for the girls, right? I can have 100 wives. I'm good to go, but you can only have me. <laughs> listen, listen. Polygamy, right? Look it up. Look it up. I had someone talk to you about it one day. They're like, well, the Bible doesn't really say not to do it. I'm like, what? Are you for real? But you find it out there, you'll find someone who will confirm it is okay. Look hard enough. And you don't have to look that hard. Just do a little search in Google Bing somewhere there. Search it. Boom. It'll come right out to you. <laughs> that is the way that most of us, most of us, and, we, and we, when we talk about the next church, we're going to talk about another way. But most of the time, when we decide that we are not going to submit an area to God, we're not going to live for him in a certain way, it is because we allow teaching into our life that does not align with the word of God. 
We allow teaching. And you know what? And let me say it like this. Some of the teaching that we allow into our life isn't even Bible teaching. It can be sociological teaching. Well, this is what society's doing, and so this must be right. Really? Because society's doing that makes it right? No. In this particular church, here's what happened. Because we have different things that make us do this. But in this church, this is what happens in a, in a, in a whole bunch of scenarios. In this church, they had folks that were in there, look powerful, look smart, say, oh, yeah, we love Jesus. But we also like to fornicate. We also like to worship idols. Remember we talked about idolatry last week? Remember what I said last week? I know some of you were, like, highly offended. But every single one of us that's in this place struggles with idolatry. Every single one of us. I didn't say this part last week, and this is really going to offend you. You know who your number one idol is? You. Every time that you decide, listen to me now. Every time you decide to do what you want to do instead of what God says, guess what you did? Worshipped you. You know why you don't see it? Because you're not going like this and stepping out of your body and bowing down. But if you could, just picture yourself. Every time that you're struggling, it's, it's this. This is basically it. Who am I going to bow down to? God or me? Every person on the planet, I do not care how spiritual you are, you struggle. And you know what? I, th- 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 this is the proof. The more spiritual you become, the more you're aware of it. The closer you come to God, the more you realize, man, I am wretched. I am horrible. That's how I know how close you are to him. I, know, I probably said this quote before. I'll say it again, and, and I hope I don't mess it up because it's been a long time since I thought about it, but it just came to my mind, so I'm going to say it. But here's the thing. The closer we are to God, the further away we feel from him. The further we are from God, the closer we feel to him. What do you mean, Bishop? Folks that are far from God, they're the first one to say, oh, me and God are cool. Far from him. You feel like everything is all right. That's because you're not looking at him. It's kind of like when you're out there, you know, when you were younger. I know some of us are a little older. You know, we don't, we, don't, we don't deal with parental situations. But you remember back in the day, you were out there hanging out. Mom and dad, no one was, well, back then you all didn't have cell phones, glory to God. But anyway, um, you know, whatever. They, 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 no, nobody was coming and knocking on the door where you was at. So you're like, oh, everything is cool until you walked in the door. Where you been? Oh, your curfew was. Mm-hmm. So you thought everything was good because you were far from them. But when you came close to proximity, ooh, mm-hmm. change the scenario a little bit, right? It's the same thing with us with God. You're just not looking at him. So if you feel like you're okay, if you feel, <laughs> glory to God, if you feel like you're okay, every time you hear a message preacher like, oh, I'm good, you got problems. You have issues. But the closer you are to him, the closer you come to him, The closer in proximity you come to the king, you begin to understand, man, he is holy. And you know what? Let me say it like this. It is not so much even about you. It is the grandeur of him. The closer you get to him, the closer you come to his holiness, his holiness is overwhelming. The most minute thought that is ungodly is just like, wow. I'm wretched. And let me tell you something. Don't think that you've got minute thoughts of unholiness. Listen, we all struggle with this. And can I tell you this? This is not a new struggle. 
This is a struggle that every person that has ever walked this planet has struggled with. Paul communicates to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He's like, listen, are are, are idols anything? No. But when these Gentiles sacrifice to idols, they're sacrificing to demons. And I don't want you to partake with demons. So idolatry, all that is is demonic worship. Always, the Apostle John, he answers, I believe, the, the first epistle, and he says, stay away from idolatry. The last thing he says, stay away from idolatry. Beware of idolatry because it's something that everyone, he's talking to the church because it happens. We begin to worship our own righteousness. Listen, we worship anything, y'all. I, 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 I want you to understand. Worship, we begin to worship our own righteous acts. We do something good for someone, we exalt the work instead of God's grace that enabled us to do it. I'll put it to you like this. Some of us worship worship. Let's be real about it. Some of us, most, most of us worship worship. How can I tell? When we're off, you don't worship. Mm-hmm. But Bishop, it's tough. I know. <laughs> but we worship worship. Listen, most people do. You walk into a church, you, mo, a, lot, a lot of people, a lot of people, here's what they do. They walk into, we worship programming. We worship methods, right? I love the way Mark Driscoll said it. He calls it methodolatry. <laughs> we worship our methods. Most folks, they walk into a church, here's what you do. The first thing you do, you walk in through the doors, you look around, you see how it looks. Is it looking clean, right? First thing. Second thing, if you got kids, what are you looking for? Let's see the children's program. Let's see how that works. What do they have for me to offer me? Walk into the sanctuary. How's the sound? How's the seating? How's the worship? No, how's the music? It's not about how worship is. Let me, let me correct that. How's the music? And the preaching will come, you know, later. What are we worshiping? Worshiping methods. Worshiping quality rather than worshiping God, rather than worshiping the Savior. What does that mean? We shouldn't have programs? Please. We need to have all that. We shouldn't have good music? We should try. Glory to God. (laughs) That should be our goal, right? Be excellent at what we do. But we as people, what do we worship? We worship a whole bunch of stuff, man. And we need to think about that. Think about it. I want you to think about this. Think about this for a moment. And I know there's going to, man, I'm just in an offensive mood today. Think about this. Some of us, right? Since when I get this position here, I just get offensive. I don't know what happens. Think about this, right? How many of you? I'm I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand like this. Let's just be real bold. How many of you make sure that you're on time to work? Raise your hand. Come on, throw that hand up there high, right? At least 90% of the time, right? Come on, come on. Keep, keep them up proud. Let's be proud of that. that. That's a good quality. Glory to God. Now put it down. You can put it down now. Glory to God. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand up this, this one here. What about church? Some, 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 of us, some, some of us, some of us, some of us. See, but I, I, I have an issue with folks try to be on time to church but can't be on time, but, but they could be to work, to work on time. Mm-hmm. Right. Try. 
Get an A for effort. Listen, and things happen, y'all. Look, I, I, I want to let you know something. I'm going to let you know. Pastor Robert texted me this morning, so I know they had issues today. He threw the whole thing off. I got that. Glory to God. Listen, I, I know what was up. So I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I, what, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, look, man, we come to, we, we, we come to church. We just want, well, you know what? They're going to do four songs, so I'll just get there whenever. I, you know, we, we, we're not going to, we, we'll get there for the preaching. Really? Right? Next, that, that, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just, just switch it up on y'all. We're going to do two songs and preach and then do four songs at the end. I'm going to open up with the preach and be like, okay, open your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 2. Watch, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Y'all, y'all think I'm joking. Watch and see. It's going to happen. Watch. Y'all going to walk up in here and be like, man, hold on. Did the time change? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Methodolatry, right? That's what it is. You just, you, you worship the method. You hope. Okay, hopefully this going to be like this. Glory to God. Listen, but we, I, the reason I bring this up is because we, listen, we can be devoted and get to work on time. Why? Because we will lose our job. We will lose our job. Well, I'm just coming to church. Wrong mindset. What you should be, and I'm just going to encourage you and we'll move on to the next point in this message. What you should be doing. This is what you should be doing. As a body, as a person who is really committed to the body, you should be on your face in the sanctuary early, crying out to God for every other person that's going to walk in this church. You should be on your face before the Lord, crying out to God and saying, God, we need you. Now, we may have issues. There may be reasons why you can't make it. Whatever the case is, listen, I got all that, and I don't need to hear all of the reasons. What I am saying is this. If you can honestly say with a clear conscience that there's issues and I can't make it, all right, then you're good to go. But if you can't, if there is no real justifiable reason why you can't be here to pray and seek God's face, my challenge is for you to come in and demonstrate a desperation for God and a consideration for those who are going to walk in these doors and come into this house preparing an atmosphere for them to enter in so when they walk in those doors... They're not walking into a weight of oppression and a weight of this, but they're walking into the glory of God. I want you to notice when you look at this church here, what he says to this church is he tells them that you have some there, verse 14, who hold to the doctrine of Balaam. Y'all remember who Balaam was, right? He was the guy in the Old Testament. He was, he was a prophet, and Balak the king came and said, listen, I need you to curse Israel. He goes out, tries to curse them, can't curse them, tries to curse them again, can't curse them, take me to a higher place, can't curse them. Finally, Balak gets fed up, and he's like, look, dude, I, I was paying you to do this. And he said, look, man, what God is blessed, I can't curse. He says, but I can teach you how to make them walk into a curse. I can teach you. I can teach you how to make them walk themselves right into the wrath of God. I can teach you how to do it. You know how you do it? I'm going to tell you how you do it. You get all your pretty young ladies. This, how, this is exactly what he tells them. Get all your pretty young ladies, right? Get all your nice and beautiful women. Send them over there. Send them. You know what the men are going to do? Polygamy. <laughs> wow. Where y'all come from? And then, then tell them, but if you're going to be with me, 
you have to worship my God. And you know what? Because men don't always think the way that they should. Y'all read between the lines, right? Okay. <laughs> because they don't always think the way they should. You know what they'll do? Man, I got to be with her, so whatever I got to do, I'm going to do it. Hmm? Just like you, you know, old school dudes, you know, be like, you know, all I got to do is say, you know, before you came to Jesus, because now it's different. Before you came to Jesus, you just got to tell her I love her. You don't love no one, right? I just tell her I love her and everything's going to be all right. Right? I know y'all are too spiritual now to admit that, but <laughs> that was a sure shot, buddy. Tell her you love her. She's going to melt. That's all she wants to hear that. This is what these guys would do. That's what, ba that, that's what Balaam said. Balaam said, hey, send your pretty women. Send them over there into the city. These men are going to see them. Let them know, listen, unless you worship our gods, you're not going to be able to do this. When they begin to intermarry, they're not supposed to do that. They're not supposed to mix, right? That was an Old Testament decree, New Testament, that doesn't matter. But in the Old Testament, and the way, the way it applies in the New Testament, it does apply, but not to race or anything like that. The way that it applies in the New Testament is not to be unequally yoked, so you shouldn't be getting together with non-believers. So if you are a Christian, you shouldn't be trying to marry someone who is not a Christian. That's what God is trying to do, keep you from worshiping the wrong way. You know why? I've seen plenty of people do this, and not just in marriage relationships, in regular relationships. You know what they'll do? Be like, you know what? I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to bring them to Jesus. And you know what ends up happening? They end up pulling them to hell. See it all the time. Excited. Oh, I'm coming at him. And I can always tell you, yeah, you're coming at him. He who, he who, he who thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. God doesn't play around with his word. Don't get into covenant relationship like that. So we have this. He tells him to do this. You know what he says here? Over here in, in, in this, this church, they had people in there that had the same doctrine, had the same belief. It's okay to eat this food that is dedicated to idols. It's okay to participate in demons. It's all right with that. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. It's okay for you to fornicate and do wrong. We're going to talk more about that when I deal with the next church. But he, he communicates these things, and he's saying, look, you got people in there that hold to that doctrine, false doctrine. So now you know what happens? Because you have people with bad doctrine, bad teaching, you know what they do? They go on ahead and they infiltrate the church, and then they get everybody to say, well, you know, it's okay because so-and-so, smart guy, good teacher, eloquent, they're speaking, they're leading, they're in positions, they have all of this stuff. Well, you know what? He's living foul. Seems like God is blessing him. Seems like, he's, he, seems like he knows what he's talking about. He's talking about years and years of history. He's talking about, it seems like it's all together. So you know what I do? I go on ahead and I embrace that mentality. I go on ahead and I embrace that teaching and I begin to live that life. God says this is wrong. He says, this is incorrect. Not only do they have those people, but they also have these Nicolaitans that are in there. And the, and the Ephesus church, remember, they hated them. They were like, look, we don't want nothing to do with y'all. Y'all are teaching false doctrine. It is not right teaching. And when you look at history, history equates the, 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 the Balaamistic people to the Nicolaitan people. And so they both had the same mindset. It's okay to fornicate. It's okay to commit adultery. It's okay to eat things worth, and, and that, that, are, that are committed to idols. It's okay for you to have idolatry. It's okay for you to have idols in your life because that's the bottom line. When you're looking at that in a present-day context, in those days what would happen is they would have the, the um, you know, in, in, in the markets, 
they had all of these animals, and most of these people were worshiping false gods. And so what do you do when you worship? You sacrifice things. And so what they would do is they would sacrifice all of the animals that they were going to sell in the market because what? I need the blessing of my God so that way I will prosper when I go out into the marketplace and people will buy my stuff. So what I do, I dedicate my sacrifice to my God. I go out to the marketplace and I put my food up for sale. People come and buy it. They eat it. And most of the people knew that the foods that were there were polluted because they were dedicated to idols. Well, in our day, we don't know what these people are doing. I mean, we have no idea what these folks are doing over there in their farms. They could be sacrificing to idols. We would never know. And so we eat with a good conscience and everything like that. But there are other things in our day, I already went over them, that we see idolatry. And you know what? We don't even question stuff. We don't talk to our brothers and sisters about that. We see people with idols in their life, and we never confront them. Where's the love? Number one, where's the love for God? Number two, where's the love for their soul? We see people living foul, living a way that is contrary to the word of God. They allowed this. I want you to notice something that's very important. The whole church was corrected for the beliefs and behavior of a few, the minority. What does this show us? This shows us that we are all responsible for one another, and we cannot tolerate false teaching that removes our focus from the gospel. We have false teaching that removes our focus from the gospel. How does this remove our focus? From, how, how does this teaching remove our focus from the gospel? When any teaching allows sin, what we are doing is we are nullifying what Jesus did on the cross in our minds. Because what we are saying is Jesus didn't die for idolatry. Yes, he did. What we are saying, well, Jesus didn't die for sexual immorality. Yes, he did. So if you are in alliance and in allegiance with Jesus, then that means that you should not be worshiping false, false idols or, or false gods in idolatry. That means you should not be living ungodly lifestyle. But what happens is we get teachers who will come in and who will take your Bible and will twist it all up and will come and make you think because what they do is they proof text. What is that? They go to the Bible, they pick out one text from one place, and they say, this is what the Bible says, this is what the Bible means. They do not read in context. They do not teach in context. They read a portion and say, this is what the Bible means. And because they are so eloquent, because they are so educated, because their life seems to have the blessing of God upon them, they point to all of those things in their life, and then we just assume, well, they're living like this, they're doing this, they're teaching this, and they're okay, so why do I have to be bound and not indulge in the flesh? That's what it boils down to. You either indulge in the flesh or you, or you crucify it by the Spirit of God. What does God do? God calls this church. He tells them here in verse 16, he says, repent or else I will come to you quickly. He's not talking about his second return. He's not talking about the return of the church. He's talking about an immediate coming to you and bringing correction that is going to be painful. He says, I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now notice, I want you to realize this. God is just and he's fair. He is going to fight with. He is going to deal with everybody but specifically those who hold to that teaching. So you know what happens? Here's what happens. In the church, there, are always, there will always be this. And this is the reason why you should always, whenever you have the opportunity to speak, you should always speak against sin because there will always be people sitting in the seats who indulge in sin, who are cool living in sin. 
And then there will be others in the church who they're convicted about their sin, who they are living for Jesus. They are living righteously. And so he's saying, listen, I'm going to come, and how's he going to fight with them? He's going to show them, number one, where your teaching is incorrect, where your communicating is incorrect. And he's going to bring judgment upon them because that sword is bringing judgment unto their lives. But I want you to notice the first thing that he says to them in that verse. He says, repent. When he says repent, he's talking to the whole church. He is not only talking to the ones who are teaching falsely and to the ones who are believing falsely. He is speaking to the whole church. Listen, the reason is because we are responsible not only to repent for our own sins, but even for the sins of others. What do you mean, Bishop? I thought it was about them. No, if my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray, would turn away from their wicked ways, right? He's talking about us sitting down before God, coming before him, repenting of our wicked ways and the wicked ways of our nation, the wicked ways of our land. You may not be doing those things, but somebody around you is, and you're repenting before God, asking for God's mercy. That's what's supposed to happen. He's saying, listen, don't allow this to continue on. He goes on, and in closing, he says this. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, he repeats the same thing. we got to have ears to hear. we got to have our ears open to what the Spirit is saying to the church so we can walk in the obedience. He says, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. And so the first thing we need to realize, the results of repentance is that we will be overcomers. The result of repentance, when we repent of sin, when we repent of compromise, when we repent of these things that don't bring glory and honor to God, the result of it in our lives as individuals is going to be that we are going to overcome. And when enough of us repent, collectively we overcome. Amen. Hallelujah. But he gives us a promise because, remember, this is about focus. So the question is this, what are you focused on? Again, what are you living for? What is it that you are living for? Are you living for the food of this, this earth? They were over there eating this food, sacrificed to idols. They were unwilling to skip a meal, so to speak. They wanted to continue to participate with that. And God says, I'm going to give you the hidden manna. I'm going to give you real food. Jesus tells the Jews in the book of John chapter 6, he says, my, my, my father gave you manna in the wilderness, but I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He says where he goes, he can't be found by the lost people. He can't be found. He can't, you, you're not going to just find him. What happens? The conviction of the Holy Spirit comes upon your life. You repent of your sin. Jesus finds you. Hallelujah. It's not up to you. It's up to him. He finds you. He draws you. Brings deliverance to your life. Hidden manna. He says, you know what? You should be living not for this world. You should be living for that world to come. You should be living for the food of heaven. And the beauty of this is that God allows us to experience this food of heaven. He allows us to experience it now. But he says in the future, you're going to have that manna. You will partake of this manna that is heavenly. He says to them, I will give you a white stone with a name that is written on it. 
And when you look at this white stone, what does it mean? I love this, the, 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 the explanation of this. And it is that back in those times, there are two things, that there, there are two explanations. The one explanation is this, is that when people would run in the, in the public games and things like that, when they would win, they would receive this white stone. This white stone was a sign. It was a victor's stone. And it was a sign that they had won the race. And now, for the remainder of their time, they were able to be supported by, 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 you know, by, by, the, by the society there. Because what? Because they were winners. Because they won, so they were able to be supported. But the, but the explanation that I love the most is that in those days as well, when, whenever you went to court, there was something that they had, a white stone and a black stone. And what the judge would do is the judge would give you a stone based on if you were guilty or you were innocent. Well, you can imagine by the colors that the black one meant that you were guilty. You were condemned. But when you received the white stone, the white stone was the judge saying, you are innocent. You're innocent. You're free to go. And as long as you have this white stone, you're okay. Well, you know what? I don't know about this part when it comes to the whole name thing written on there. I don't know if they wrote something on there saying what you were innocent of. What I do know is that you received this white stone. And that's what God is saying. When you come to heaven and you get there, you receive this white stone. Symbolically, you receive this. You have been forgiven. You have been released. But he says that there will be a name that is written on there that only the person who receives it will know it. Only the person who receives it will understand. And you see, here's the thing that I realize. What I realize is that all of us, we all have some kind of past. We all have some kind of name that we're known by. We all have some type of thing that we're, that, that we're known for. But when we get to heaven, after we have overcome, we receive this white stone of innocence and victory with a new name on it that declares who you really are in him. Awesome. Declares who you are. Says that, you know what? No matter what that name was, no matter what it was it used to be bounded, no matter what it was you used to walk, no matter what it was that you walked in condemnation for, you receive a new stone and you receive a new name. So as the church and as the body of believers, the question is again, what are we focused on? What are we living for? Are we living for eternity? Or are we living for now? This church, they got caught up in the wrong doctrine. It's important for us to check the doctrine of our lives. It's important for us to check what we approve of. It is important for us to check what is it that we are in agreement with. And if we're in agreement with false teaching, we need to repent. And if we know others who are teaching falsely or who are in agreement with false teaching, it is our responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ to confront them in love and let them know God calls us to repentance so that we can overcome and be rewarded eternally. Let's all stand to our feet. Hallelujah, Father, we love you. We love you, we love you, and adore your name, Lord God. Father, we humble our hearts before your presence. We acknowledge you, God. We acknowledge you, God. You are holy, you are righteous and pure. God, there's no one 